If you worry about what other people think, soon enough, you will be on the sidelines of your life. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Millionaire Woman Show. We take you guests from around the world to inspire, motivate you into action, and educate you so you can live rich from the inside out. Now, today's guest, I have been watching on Instagram for a while, and I'm so excited to have him here on the show. Anthony Trucks is a serial entrepreneur with one serious superpower, the power to use his identity as a tool to execute so consistency becomes easy, something he teaches people which allows them to start attaining their most ambitious desires as quickly as this month. He uses the power of identity to achieve dreams, which is why he created the Shift Method, a process and a company focused on helping people close the identity gaps that are responsible for their shortfalls in potential and lack of success. Then He then helps them upgrade how to execute so the hard things become easy, which means more success in all areas of life. It is time to make shift happen. Please welcome Anthony Trucks to the show. Hey, the cheers. The crowd goes wild. Hey. <laughs> oh, it's so awesome to have you. And I, I actually have to admit, I was just on your website before we came on and I was doing the okay. identity quiz. And yeah. I'm a doer. I'm a beautiful. Doer. What level of doer are you? That far, I don't think I went. I just there's five levels of doer. Okay, then I'm gonna yeah, I yeah. read so the report that came after yet. So I still have oh, to do you know what? I'm like, oh, I'm a doer. I'm gonna put that in. <laughs> That's good. I'm gonna put it in because I realize that people don't always read that. So I'm gonna go in. I I'm, I'm actually redoing some of the quiz the next couple of days. So I'm actually refilm all the videos. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I put in there. There's different levels of the doer because you got to know the levels. There's five of them, but we'll, you can talk about them later. Absolutely. Read it later. We, we need to jump into that because I'm like, oh, he's probably going to ask me, did I do that quiz? <laughs> I thought I better jump. Oh, in. no, not everybody. You'd be surprised. I mean, f- there's a lot of things I have out there. Not a lot, a few things and not everybody gets to everything. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad you did, though, because actually it's a good precursor for uh, part of the conversation, but also for yourself. If you ever get to read the actual part of that or oh, report to it, I will. I'm, I'm one of those people have to know yeah. as soon as something comes to me as, well, this is what you are. I need to know the rest. <laughs> I need the rationale. Who so, am I? I I'm yeah. so excited to have you here because, you know, I was listening to impact theory. I've actually listened to some of your YouTube uh, videos while I walk in the morning at five 30. Oh, nice. Really getting to know your voice. And then I thought, you know, what? I'm going to reach out to Anthony and see if he'd come on the show because we do talk about all things life leadership and business here and you know I love the fact that there's so many parts of your journey that I can ask you so many questions about but I really want to start from the beginning where you really noticed that things were going to be different for you and Mm -hmm. when I was listening to the impact theory it was all started at the age of three and I would love for you just to dive into a bit of that telling us a little bit mm-hmm. about how you recognized even at the age of three that your life was going to be different. 
Yeah, it was interesting. I don't think I recognized it until I was like 14, but I was in the middle of it. It's it's what they say, like when you you can't see the label when you're inside the jar. You know, you're just kind of going through the paces. And so for me, what happened was my mom gave us away, me and my three siblings in a foster care. And foster care is not a very good place, man. It's a, at the time we were what's called a paycheck, which means as long as we didn't die in that system, those people got a paycheck, but they treated us just horrendously. And so I just dealt with a lot of weird things around those developmental years. You know, I wasn't a happy kid. I was very um, just troubled. I was emotionally unstable. I was just a really interesting little human. And uh, I got to the point where, you know, I, I ended up in three different, let's say five different houses over three years. And then in my third year, I landed in my sixth house, which is my family now. And it was, it was a, a weird environment, right? So I've always battled kind of identity. Who am I? But this is what your normalcy is. Like you ask, like, when did you, what did it feel like to, you know, realize this? You don't realize it. This is what you know to be life. So unfortunately, that's what we get used to. And, you know, I didn't think I deserved much. I didn't feel like I was a good human just because your own mom doesn't want you. So for the next eight years, I'm in this family and, you know, we're really poor, not much growing up and ended up at 14 years old, finally getting adopted and being aware of like, oh, life can be much better than this. You see it with your peers, but like I finally started getting more aware of it. And more, more aware of the fact that I could actually, in fact, finally be adopted at 14. You can have like a, a severing of parental rights because my real mom wouldn't let it happen. Just a very interesting dynamic of a human, uh, I think really troubled, we'll call it. I haven't talked to her in many, many years, but just very troubled person. And so, uh, you know, that was my dynamic. And then I progressed forward out of that into a whole bunch of more crazy, man. You know, college and, and NFL and TV shows and marriage and three kids and divorce and remarried and uh, my mom passed away. I just had a lot of weird things as my phone goes off. My apologies. I had a lot of weird things take place in my life and, and we can go as far and as deep as you want. I am nothing's off limits to ask me, but here's what I express to people. In my life, I have crossed a lot of finish lines. Uh, some that were long, long races, you know, it was a long race to get to my marriage. Uh, you know, being what it is now, long race or present fatherhood, long race to my business success. And, and in those same things, I realized a lot of people are still running the race. And so I didn't turn around and say, hey, here's how you do this until I cross the finish line. And so now I go back and I kind of guide people from positions of not only my experience, but now like thousands of people I've interacted with over the years and hearing stories and interacting. So I kind of become this weird like melting pot of stuff. And, and my whole purpose here is how can I take all this crazy and then turn into something useful and give it back to the world? I think it's very powerful in the fact that all of that melting pot has different parts of your story that resonate with different people for different purposes. Yeah. And when those yeah. teachers There's show up, it's really the right time to hear your story. And no matter part of the journey, I think people don't always see the significance of the different stepping stones that got them to where they are. That even though we think, you know, we've mm -hmm. moved past that, we think we're moving forward but individuals look at that part of the story because that's where they are. And they're like, you know what? He resonates with me because of that yeah. part of so his story. At the age of 14, you know, during this progression from three to 14, you know, you said you have this yeah. feeling that, you know, I'm not worth it. I'm not deserving. I'm not enough. All of these things because of that feeling of rejection. When you yeah. did find your, I guess they refer to it sometimes as the forever family. Um, yeah. How did, how were you able to shift from having that messaging to yourself to allowing this family to embrace you and have them as part of their own? 
Yeah, you know, it's a hard thing. In, in foster care and in any part of life, when you don't trust the, uh, we'll call it the, the entity, right? So for me, the entity was everybody but me. You know, I didn't trust the world. And when you don't trust the world, you don't trust management, whatever it might be, you, you start to see that, uh, that you act in a way that actually is self-sabotage. You know, so you don't let management help you. Don't let the family help you. Don't let your spouse help you. And you start seeing it as the opposition. And the crazy thing is, is this entire time, they could have easily given me back but they chose not to. They actually fought to try and adopt me. And so I think what it was is, first off, we usually are, are desiring something that's no, no good to us. We, for some reason, we as human beings have a desire to be around things because we just know them in the normalcy. So for me as a kid, I wanted to go back with my real mom, but she's not a very good person. If I'd have been with her, my life would be vastly bad. Like it would not be a very good existence. But as a kid, you don't know that. You just want your mom. I want this thing that it's unhealthy, right? Right, and right. it took me a lot of years to realize like these people, man, they were the, they loved me when someone else wouldn't that I wanted to. And they loved me. And it wasn't this thing where they, they had a condition around it or I had to be good or they, I didn't have a fear of leaving. And then eventually I kind of woke up. I was like, wow, these people don't have to keep me here. I don't have to be part of it. There's nothing easy. A phone call relieves them of the stress of me, but they still fought. And when that like settled in, I was like, oh, all right, I need to let them love me. You know, I let the, this family needs to be uh, needs to be part of, of my whole, we'll call it. And then when you finally you know, relieve the, the aspect of that in the area, I'm adopted now. Now it's like you get to settle into the first time in my life. 14 was the first time I knew that the bed that I woke up on for sure I'm going to sleep on. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that, that was a very interesting dynamic because it wasn't something I knew to be. All my life that I had a consciousness was I could be ripped away from here any day, any day. And so when, when I finally had that settle in, life became a little more stable. It was still, we're, we're family, man. We're a bunch of sporadic, crazy, you know, dysfunctional humans. That's just that's what life is. I got a lot of people in my world that are like just borderline psychopaths. It's just my life, right? Don't we all? So it's, uh, it's this world where like, I love the fact that I now have this beauty that is my world. No one looks like me. I'm the only black person in an all white family besides my, my uh, brother-in-law now, but there is just this, uh, this aspect of I go back to those moments of peace, like a different kind of like stability that I never had. And, and when I got it, the crazy thing is I don't like change, but I do so well with it. I mean, it is, it's me. It's, it's because I was moved around as a kid and you get you know, exposed to stuff and it's just so much change that I'm just, I'm ridiculously good at navigating transitions and change and hardship, whether proactive or reactive but I don't enjoy it. You know, like I don't like go seeking it every single day and it's a weird love, hate relationship there. But man, that was a, a weird window of life. That was a catalyst to everything I have now. Well, it pretty much socialized you to be able to be a navigator of change and being able to teach others how to do the same. Without trying. Yeah. Cause I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't desiring to be a teacher. No, I don't think, I think a kid in my position, honestly, statistically, any prison in America, 75% of the inmates are former foster kids. And if not, 50% of our homeless population are former foster kids. And if not, less than 1% of us graduate from college or university. So we're not set up to do very well. So no kid in my position is thinking about anybody but himself. I want to do right. I got to be good. I'm going to be okay. Like, and that was, that was it. I was just, can I do, can I get through this craziness? And then there was you know, pivotal moments in my life. And I was like, okay, I want to be great, damn it. Like phenomenal great. I don't know what it looked like, but like, I'm going to be great. And when you finally make that choice, it's, it sets your brain in a different kind of wavelength and, and just trajectory. 
And in doing so, like I realized the things that I would run into that would shut most people down. Oh man, like I was good. Like that's, that shut you down. Somebody said they don't like you. And that's, that's it. Like my mom doesn't love me. She gave me away. Like, we're good. Like, let's keep on moving. It sounds so weird, but that's it. And then over time you do a lot of that. And then I got to a position where like, yeah, as a teacher now, I realize there's so many lessons that I learned that are valuable to teach. And like you said, if I unpacked all of my story, I mean, I, I literally counsel people in marriage and in business and in, you know, and how to start businesses like that from the ground up. I can help you install a car stereo in your car right now. I'm not joking. I can pull the wires out, connect it, put it in. There's a lot of stupid things in my head and it's all from weird experiences. And I think not my ability to have now. YouTube either, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I go to YouTube, but that's, I figure weird things out. And, uh, and because of, I think my heart to teach because of the thing that my mom, cause my mom passed from MS in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I am who I am because of the woman that she was just period. It was the unconditional love on a human being that was not her blood, but she just, she helped me reach a potential that was, you know, previously statistically impossible. And when she passed, I was like, if I can find a way to pass that, that message on in some way, I'm going to do it. And the way I figured it out was like, all right, I love, I love taking my ideas and giving them to the world and people going, thank you, aunt. And it's mostly because growing up, I didn't get that. I didn't have that appreciation. And so I selfishly desire a thank you, but I only get that thank you by giving fully to have somebody do better. And so that coupled with my mom's kind of like unconditionally love, like at this point, I go out and do a lot of stuff because I love to thank you. But I know like at the end of the day, there's a little bit of mom kind of pressing into somebody's heart when I help their business or help their marriage or help their health or whatever it might be. Beautiful. Beautiful. So did, was there a period that, you know, you needed to have forgiveness for your own mom in order for you to move forward? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a given, right? And there's forgiveness for a lot of people in the world. Uh, the parts of the story I didn't go deep into is, you know, I, I get to the point of post-NFL. I come home. I'm married. I have a couple more kids. And my wife has an affair. Breaks my soul. Like, for me as a foster kid, family is my core. I didn't grow up with my parents in the house. So, being present with my family like that has a different anchor to my soul, deeper than most people grasp. It's not a normalcy to me. I take none of it for granted. So when my wife had this affair, like ruined my soul, right? And there's aspects to how it took place. Like I was a non-present husband trying to, you know, reclaim my sense of confidence post NFL by building the gym and I'm gone 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. She has newborn twins and a four-year-old by herself, no money coming in. Like she's a trooper. And so her choice was horrible choice, but it took two people to get there. And so that was an aspect of like forgiveness. My mom giving me away forgiveness. My real dad, I found at 21, told me he had no idea who I was. Nine years later before he passed, says, hey, I did know all the time, right? So how do you let those things go? Mm-hmm. And the first thing is you don't completely, you never completely let them go. Because now I am, I'm past the aspects of my real mom. My real dad, I have a great you know, sense of care and love for. I'm back with my ex-wife. I have three years divorce, custody battles, craziness. And there's different, you know, aspects for each of those journeys, but here's the, it takes two people to get there. Yeah. And, and so for me at this point, anybody that's, that's battling with forgiveness, there's a, a perspective that really changed my ability to, to have all this craziness happen. Cause I'm, I'm back with my ex-wife. We have an amazing marriage and, and I've forgiven my father and I've forgiven my mom and people have stolen from me, like not so stuff, but here's what I've realized. People, unfortunately, were not given all the tools to live an amazing life. And, and so they're already playing behind the ball, we'll call it. 
Now, I'm not giving this as like a cop out because that's that's not what I'm trying to do, but it is a reality. People, my mom wasn't given the tools to be a mom. My dad, neither. Like my ex-wife, current wife now, wasn't given the tools to navigate, you know, a marriage from being high school sweethearts. But here's what I do know. The actions that they chose were selfish at most. They were not malicious. They weren't going out trying to make me hurt and make me feel bad. It sucks because it did, right? And there was a selfishness to it. But then it's like, man, people just, they're, they're given a lack of tools, but desires. They have no idea how to reach them. And unfortunately, sometimes they do things that damage the souls around them. And as opposed to being shamed to carry that for the rest of their life, sometimes if you, yeah, so, so people don't do things that hurt you. <laughs> and it's hard to, to first accept that because the acceptance part is like, oh, well, I'm letting them off the hook. And you're not, you're not really letting them off the hook. You're giving them the ability to grow, be better humans. Because like, for me, I kept shaming my ex-wife for what she did to ruin our family. And when I realized my part in the picture, I was like, man, like that sucks that she felt that in the first place. And on top of that, I kind of got to this point of like, all right, well, I want her to be a good mom. So if I keep shaming her, she has to keep hearing the shame and wait, and then she can never do better, could never do better, right? Mm -hmm. So if I give her a little bit of grace and compassion, it gives her a space to be a better human. And in doing so, it allowed her to not feel like she was like, every time she was getting better, I could hold it over her head, you know? And I believe that's one of the things, not the only thing, one of the things that it gave her a space of like, I took the board off the seed that was there and let the plant grow. She grew into an amazing woman, like a woman that I'm, I'm now remarried to, right? But if I kept shaming her for the rest of eternity, it sucks because then I got to deal with that emotion, that craziness. And so for, for forgiveness, it's not, it is for you, right? It, we hear that, but it's not just for you so you feel better. I think sometimes it's for you so you can experience that relationship better. Because now, because of my ability to forgive and giving grace and giving perspective so someone can grow, I do. I mean, you wouldn't hate that person if there wasn't any love. This is the nature. If there wasn't a connection at a deeper love level, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hate, right? And right. so for me, it's like I can, I can let it go because I let the love kind of shine through a little bit. And it lets, it lets you kind of have a better relationship, have people be better. And now the world's a brighter place. So what was the aha moment? that you realized that you had a part to play in this? And was it uh, after you were divorced for a few years or oh, yeah. what happened? <laughs> that was like 2016. We were divorced. Yeah. So it was like three years later. I call it a fog. You know, people go into a fog I, and I don't know how everybody else handles it, Deborah, but there is a moment where like you just kind of settle in and this all sucks. I mean, there's a point, legit, there's a point in time when I didn't want to be here. I'm like, if this is life after the NFL, I don't want any part of it. Like, this sucks. My marriage sucks. I'm not a present dad. The business sucks. I'm out of shape. No football. Who, who, why am I even here? You know, like, and everything falls apart. And there was a, you know, a catalyst moment where I woke up. And here's the truth of it. I'm an honest guy. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a man of faith, have been for a long time. I was 14. But, but you know, in the NFL, I never even cussed in the NFL. I, like, rarely ever even cussed, you know, like. It's the NFL. Everybody cusses. I just didn't do it. And I remember when I got divorced, I, you know, I fell away from it all. You know, I was like, I was, you know, just you get angry. And then I start doing dumb stuff. And by dumb stuff, I mean, I figure the business out because that's all I could focus on business. And I was kind of there for the kids. But what do you do when your business starts doing well financially and you are empty inside? You start trying to fill that hole. And sure enough, I started trying to fill the hole with a whole bunch of craziness. You know, I'm out drinking and partying and there's multiple women and it just what you'd see is that playboy lifestyle. Everybody's like, it's, that's cool. I am telling you from true experience that it's not that cool. It, it really is a draining, empty, vain existence. You know, I was 
getting in shape wasn't even because I wanted to be in shape, but I figured that would attract women. And then you know, you're doing your thing and traveling and then I have some money. And so I'm like, you know, four day weekend, I don't have the kids. I'm, you know, taking trips to the Bahamas with, with strange random ladies I meet online. This is not the recipe for success, you know? And, and then I get to the point where I went to Russia and had a presentation in Russia and I met some woman in Russia, doesn't speak a lick of English, just, you know, hanging out a, com- a complete, very physical thing. And then I have her fly back to the States around New Year's to spend New Year's with me. And I remember waking up on New Year's Day, 2016, and oh my gosh, I hated who I was. Like, I remember I went in the bath and looked in the mirror and just, just did not like this man. Like, to the extent of I realized I would hate my daughter being with a guy like this. I would hate my sons being like this or seeing me like this. My mom would never approve of the man I am, and my God wouldn't let me into heaven. And it was this, this moment of like, this has got to stop. And it was the first time that I realized that, that I had all these things in life going on. I, I couldn't keep relationship around. I tried, but it wasn't working. The business was up and down. You know, I, I, was, I was the dad who was like trying, whenever you're trying to defend that you're a good dad, you're not a good dad. You know what I mean? Like if you were having the conversation and someone's saying, you're not a good dad, you're having to defend yourself. Let's be real. That conversation ain't happening for no reason, you know, or mom, period. So those are like red flags. And I realized these are all things. And the common denominator between all of them was me. Like I am the guy in the middle of it all. And the moment that I had that awakening, that realization was the moment that I had like the, the chance to actually open up and go to a new direction. And it, it's turned into, you know, a seven figure business and, and a amazing marriage and healthy kids and, and a healthy psyche and a free flowing world, the ability to meet great people like yourself. It's turned into something crazy. And I'm not special. I've done some interest. I've been on TV and the Ninja Warrior stuff and all these kind of cool things. But none of that is possible without what took place in 2016. And, and when I made that shift, like that's when the world opened up to me. It really sounds like it came from a very intentional place that suddenly you have this realization and intentionally you're making different choices. Yeah, yeah, I decided to. Yeah, I was like, I got to make something because what? When I keep doing the same thing, feel the same way, and and it's like this, uh, like the dog and the nail. You know, it's like a story about a dog on a nail and keeps moaning, and someone goes, "Why does that dog keep moaning? Well, he's on a nail. Why doesn't he move? Well, it doesn't hurt bad enough. Well, a lot of people they don't hurt bad enough, so they get stuck there. I could have easily kept drinking my troubles away and you know sleeping with women and do all my thing and making excuses. And some people will do that for a lifetime, a lifetime. I know some of these people. And it's, it's, it's so empty to watch them and see it and it just, oh man, it hurts my heart to be honest. And so at a certain point, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be this guy anymore. And there's a difference. There's a difference, Deborah. It is not, I don't want to do these things anymore. It's, I don't want to be this guy anymore, or I don't want to be this woman anymore. It's a vast difference from, I don't like these things. Because what happens is you will protect the identity that you perceive yourself to be with your actions. Mm-hmm. And the actions, they are unconscious, their reactions, their statements, their judgments, their beliefs, their thoughts you have, and you don't even know they're going on. They're just running your life. And when I made a choice of, I don't want to be this guy anymore, that gave me permission to progress. And, and tell you to give yourself permission to, like, to admit you suck, you don't give yourself permission to progress and pursue great things. And so for me, I was finally giving myself permission to admit, all right, I'm, a, I'm sucky in relationships because I got this ego because I'm the football guy and I'm not, I'm not that great. Uh, my business is not as good as I keep telling people it is. It's struggling every... I was scraping together at one point, literally coins to pay my rent. I was getting coins out of my car to get to the last couple dimes to pay my rent. I wasn't doing good business. As a father, I would, 
I was having arguments. Why aren't you at the, the, the practice? I go to practice all the time. I'm a good dad. That shouldn't be the conversation. You know, it just, it was these things that you're, you're, you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth. And what you do is you defend the person that you are. And if your person sucks, you keep defending the fact that you suck. Guess what you get to be? The sucky person for a lot longer. And when I decided I don't want to be that guy anymore and I made the choice and I started leaning into it, that's when my life opened up. So when you're thinking to then, what is one action that you are most proud of moving from that realization? Um, then I cut off women. <laughs> that was the one. And it's not that women are bad. I love women. My, my daughter's a woman. My mom's a woman. My mother-in-law, which I actually love to that. She's so dope. And my wife, I love women. But at the time, the women I was with were not, it's, they weren't the fix, you know? And when we start seeking, uh, let's call it connectivity, we start doing it in areas where we're giving up our energy and not realizing what it does. So like being with women consistently took my energy away from, I think, trying to be a good dad or trying to run the business because I'm spending more time texting different ladies than I am anything else. On top of that, like you, you start to get, it's like sins of the flesh, they lead into far more than you grasp. And I don't want to turn this into some Bible study because it's definitely not my, my character and who I am. I, I'm a man of faith, but I'm not trying to sit here and preach in any way. But there's an aspect to where whenever you're in those, those flows, there's this the, like, need to keep it up and like, this fulfilling gap and this, this need for acceptance. And the moment that I let go of that, I was like, you know what? I got to accept me first. That was the thing. When I was so focused on everybody else accepting me, I didn't get to focus on me accepting me. And when I got to like, like quiet times, it's the hard part when you can now be quiet. I'm not going out on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday. You know, when you're able to just be at home, the hard part is it, it's not easy to hang out with a person you don't like, especially if that person's you. And when I had the women around, I didn't have to address Anthony. I didn't have to spend time with Anthony. I didn't have to get used to him. But the moment that I was separate, I spent a lot of nights on the couch staring at a wall like, damn. How would you, how'd you do that? Why are you that guy? Why can't, why do you keep making this excuse? What's wrong with you? Seriously, why'd your marriage fail? What were you doing in there? All these different things that crept in. And now I had to spend time with this dude I didn't like, but then you start having conversations with that guy and you start to get him a little bit. And then you start having real hard, like, Hey dude, stop doing this. You're like, all right. And then it's like, all right, so how do we fix this? How do we fix this, man? And then you start looking at the actions you take to fix it all. The ownership, the conversations, the apologies, all these things start weaving into the process of how you live your life. And sure enough, you give yourself space to grow. And that was, that was a lot of the big pieces of me and the burly. Like that was the thing, get rid of that, that separate distraction that clouded so much, but it gave me this, this open space to start changing so much. I love just listening to the shift. Like I can even see it in your body language and listening into your, yeah. the tone of your voice. But you know what I, I also think about is the shift not only inside of you, but the shift in what happens to the people around you as you shift. Yeah. And what did you notice about your environment as you started to make different changes? People don't like you as much. <laughs> you know, there's always that statement of you're the average of five people you're around. You are not. You're the average of the expectations of the five people around you. And it's a very different thing because if I'm around a bunch of five people that could be good, cool, right? We're, we're cool, good people. They're nice. But those people, man, if they expect you to go out and a drink and a party and hang out and like, you know, text women, all this kind of stuff, and you stop doing it, like, eh, what's up? What, what's wrong with you? And then you start getting, you know, you got to get ostracized because you're not that guy anymore, you know? And, and it's, it's a weird dynamic. But then you start seeing as human beings, I think one of the hard parts is we don't like to not be accepted by a group. 
our peer group. We need to have a peer group. So when you leave the comfort of one, even if it's a bad group, man, you, uh, you don't know where to go. So you feel lonely and you feel, you know, feel kind of destitute all by yourself. So for me, I had to, uh, I had to go out and find a new group and that new group kind of led me into, uh, into finding new spaces, new conversations. I would go out and meet amazing hearts. But I mean, at first I felt funky. It feels odd. It feels weird. And, and the more you lean into it, the more you have, uh, kind of like the, the, the possibility for great things to happen. You know, some I, people will resist that word ownership. Oh yeah. And, you know, taking hundred percent responsibility. And I've also heard it as being at cause. Mm, interesting. How, how would you explain what taking ownership actually means? You know, what's funny is I have this bracelet that is not here, but it's, it's uh, it says own your shift and uh, own your shift is this, this statement that, uh, that it's, it's, I have it literally like stamped into my intent bracelet. And, and what happens is I think there's a lot of people who don't want to take ownership because then you have to admit that there's part of you that sucks a little bit. And, and honestly, no one likes that. Like that, no one enjoys the fact that, that they would be the, the cause of the crazy in their life because then what it does is it means you have to do something and nobody wants to do anything. And so ownership is this thing where if you don't give yourself ownership, then you'll never own. You have power to control it or power to change it. So like in my marriage, I could have for the rest of my life said, women suck. They're horrible. They all do this. Why even get in a marriage? Why even try it again? They're just going to cheat on me, right? Or can say, let me take some ownership for what could have been my fault in this. And then I'm like, oh man, okay. Yeah. You know what? There's part of this that, that I had a control over. So I took back the, when I take ownership, I take a little bit of the blame. However, I also take back a little bit of the power, a little bit of the control. So that doesn't happen again. And, and when you can take ownership, then you can actually start making adjustments, but the own your shift concept ties to ownership because the first part of you making a change in your life is owning that there's something to change. Like owning that you have a control over it, owning that it's, that's, that's what's going on. Your is the next piece you're kind of talking about, but your means it's on you. Whether it's your fault or not, it was not my fault that my mom put me into foster care. It's not my fault my dad didn't come around. Not my fault people stole money from me in business. Not my fault, right? But I was the byproduct and there was this thing, this situation, but it's my responsibility to navigate the next moments of my life with this having occurred. And if I didn't take ownership of the actions, then it all would have broke. It would have stayed broken, right? So now that I've got this reality of something's busted, I got to own as a problem. It's my responsibility, your responsibility to fix it. And the last part's shift. You got to actually do the work. You have to shift the insides of how you think, how you flow, what you do, how you see things. And once you make those shifts, now you can make shifts outside that actually change your life. But it starts with the ownership piece. Yeah. And you talk about navigating the next moment. So it leads me to my next question about... Yeah. You know, you saw greatness in yourself. What gave you the drive to work toward being a football player? Uh, you know, I, I just uh, wanted some self-worth. <laughs> I think it was when I was a kid, I saw my teammates. They're all like classmates at recess, all doing great and had their jerseys on Friday and looking all great for the young game. And I wasn't allowed to play football because of my real mom until I was adopted. That's when I finally got to play football. And it was it, man. It was like I got a chance to finally go play, finally go do something great. And it was a self-worth thing. That was what football was. I wanted to feel like I mattered. And it was something where I sucked. I was really bad, Deborah. Really bad. And I figured it out over years, you know, a couple of years. But realistically, I just, it wasn't an outlet where I wanted, I mean, I felt good hitting people. I'm not going to lie. I felt like a good little release, right? But the idea was like, I liked when I got someone to cheer for me. I liked when somebody said, great job. Like, I liked the cheers from the crowd. That was the thing that drove me because I, 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 at that time, needed the world to validate me. Cause it never had before. 
So when it finally did, I felt real good. I came to learn over time that that shouldn't be the thing that validates you, makes me push forward. It's, it's more of an internal thing, but that was the call for football. And then you just get good at it and it's fun because when you're good at something and get cheered, like, let's be honest, it is fun to come out of that tunnel and get, you know, cheering and you get your helmet on, like, and you, you'd sack people and you do little things. It's, it's, let's be honest. It is the show. It is a blast. Right. But in the beginning, it was just like, I want to feel like I matter to the world. Yeah. And what I also know, because my son's a kicker. Um, for a university team. Oh, nice. In uh, Edmonton. And, but what I know is it's that part of family, right? Mm-hmm. It really precludes you back to that family environment, that community, yeah. that bonding of everybody being together. Now, how about life after football? I know with many athletes that they define their identity. So we're talking a little bit about identity now, but they define themselves by the sport they played, who they were at the time, and sometimes they don't set new goals right after and they lose themselves in the fact that they no longer have that in their lives. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell people who have identified and it, and it might not just be football and it could be any sport. It could be any career that suddenly they were let go from a job and they've needing to transition. Mm-hmm. But how do you get them to shift from seeing where that identity was to yeah. where they could possibly even go. Oh man, there's a, this is what I call the shift method. It's actually a process. So everything I'm talking about, it's all stories, but for me, it boils down to what can I have somebody do, right? If I can't have you do something, then it's just me telling stories. That's cool, but you could watch a movie. You could watch a YouTube video and feel good about yourself. And so this boils down to the process. The process is the change. So the first thing is a stage, it's, it's the C stage, and it goes C, shift, sustain. It's tied to, for the most part, what I've learned in, uh, in process of football, which is you really essentially have the structure of, can I plan, can I execute, can I stay consistent? So the C phase is a plan phase in a, in a stance. Essentially what it is, is there's two areas that people don't see things in their world. They don't see what's been holding them back. They're not aware of it. It's that, that blind spot, we'll call it. So the blind spots are prevalent for a lot of people. They never really understand what's going on or why they're in these weird spots. And then what ends up taking place is they run their life without realizing they're about to crash. And the first part of seeing is seeing what's, what's in the way. Then once you kind of unhitch that trailer, it's been kind of an invisible chain. Now you can see where to go. And when you start seeing where you want to go, it should be something that it sparks some interest and sparks a little bit of passion. Because if you don't have this passion or desire or something that makes you want to do it or like it'd be great to get there, then why do you do it? That's why visualization is so big is when you can see and, and touch and taste it, it pulls you towards it. You unconsciously do the right things to get there. And so if you can't see that, you won't get there. And then past that is more of like actionable stuff. But the beginning portion is wh- what do you see for yourself? What do you see it stopping you that you, you know, hadn't seen before that sucks to grab? Like for me, I was a sucky husband. I just see that. Now, what can I see in the future that I want to go after? A better marriage, happiness, joy, a better family. You know, just seeing that shift, but it comes back to picking up that ownership to mm-hmm. really see that something needs to change. And it's seeing your way of having responsibility for those results. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much what it boils down to. It's, it's it, because when you have responsibility, now something has to, has to be changed. And if you take the responsibility of the problem, you can take the responsibility of the choice and the results of it for sure. It's interesting because a lot of people, they see only their current circumstance, right? Like you said, being in the jar, not seeing the label. Yeah. And it's hard for them to see 10 years down the road. Like, yeah. 
even at, at the time that you had the realization with your wife or, you know, being adopted at 14 to see what life could be for you in 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. There was no, well, the funny thing is back then I wasn't seeing any of that. There was just the, uh, <laughs> I'm seeing a foot ahead of like, I don't like this. I think there's two ways. Some of it's to see what I want to go to and some of it's to see what I don't want to run into or don't want to catch me. And a lot of my life was like, I, I got to see what I don't want to catch me. And it takes a while to get to the point of seeing what you can go after. Cause then that it naturally takes care of what's coming after you. And some people are running from fear so fast that they realize they're not realizing they're going towards something and they end up falling off a cliff. And, and so for me, I'd like to turn the attention and say, look, if we go towards something great, you're going to outrun the craziness anyways, you will, but you won't fall off a cliff. You'll hit the bridge. How have you, how would you describe developing mental toughness? I know that you've done the American Ninja Warrior. Is it yeah. physical things that oh, help you develop it? Yeah, it's both. I mean, yeah, if you want to feel like you're dope, like you're you know, a bad ASS, you got to do bad ASS stuff, you know, like you got to be that, that human. And, and I think for me, developing it comes with leaning into things that really I don't like, that make me feel like I'm not capable. Because then what happens, you see if you are. And if you don't do well, you know, it's fine. You can get better at it. But man, if you go in there and you do it, like, look how cool you are. And then that cool person gets to come into the world every day feeling confident. Confidence is a big thing, man. It's a very powerful drug if you get a lot of it. Um, it can, it can be, there could be too much of it, right? But the thing is, it's just enough. The right level of it will give you the chance to feel hopeful, feel joyful, and feel like something's possible. And that, that is something that I think a lot of human beings really, really need. Because when you get that, and even if it's you know, a false confidence sometimes, that false confidence can lead to an action that creates real confidence. But you got to be able to take the action. So how do you evaluate opportunities that come to you? Um, I have to see if they fit in my life scale. That's a, so opportunities come, but they're only opportunities. And called that if I, I may actually like them. <laughs> There's a lot that comes into my plate. And so what I found is that there are a lot of things that happen in my world that really aren't opportunities. They look like it, but they're more distractions than anything else. I evaluate them based on what I want my life to look like five years from now, right? It's, is this going to put me in the place where I'm, I'm, I'm actually who I want to be? We're all being somebody every day, verbally. We're being somebody as a verb. That being is becoming something. And if I'm not careful, I will become something I didn't want to become because I was being somebody I wasn't aware of in the moment. And so I'm always like looking at like, what are these opportunities? What do they, what does it call of me? If I want to accomplish this thing, what's it going to require me to do consistently that will me be me becoming somebody over time? And if it doesn't align with that guy, I don't do it. It's not even about money sometimes. It's not even about the notoriety. It's like, okay, if I do this, what kind of person am I with this? And if it doesn't align, I don't do it. And are you like, going to be proud of yourself at the end of the day? Yeah. If you're not proud of yourself, that's a, that's a big one. That's, that's an integrity thing because some people, they'll do it if they don't feel proud. But if I'm proud, I feel good. So Anthony, how have you dealt with some of the naysayers? Like when an opportunity has crossed your plate, you've decided yeah. it's a right fit for your life. And you're like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, says, oh, do you really think you can? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a feasible thing. And that happens. I don't know if it happens as often as people genuinely think, I'm sure it does. But what I found in my life is there's going to be people that naturally don't, I mean, that naturally don't want you to do it because then they want to see you do well, but not better than them. And they'll give you the perspectives based on what they're capable of doing, which isn't very much typically. And what I usually turn it back into is I say, look, okay, what do I want? And are they going to be in the place of my life that I'm going to be in later on? Or can they even, you know, they see this thing. Because here's like, for an example, I keep going back to this relationship part of it. My wife and I, there are people who, uh, who didn't believe we should be back together because of the craziness, right? You don't, don't do that. Don't be back with her. And, 
A lot of people have been in that same realm of like, that was stupid. You shouldn't do that. I, on the Tom Bilyeu Impact Theory podcast, there was a, a comment and someone goes, the moment he said he got back with his ex-wife, I got off. I, I can't be with that. I can't listen to this. I'm like, dude, you didn't even listen to the whole story. You idiot. There's so much gold right there. Go, go back and pay attention again. But I don't want to live my life for an outcome that somebody else might enjoy. Mm. So that's it. I live my life for the outcome I would enjoy. And if I live my life for the outcome somebody else would enjoy, first off, most people don't enjoy their life. Statistically, 53% of people don't like their career, their job in America which means the abnormal are the happy. So I don't want to be in the normal, right? So I, I realize there's an outcome of my life that I want. And if it doesn't make sense to you, that's cool. It makes sense to me. And if I find out it doesn't make sense to me, I'll get onto something else. But there's going to be the natural you know, people that just look at it and go, doesn't make sense. My best friend in the world, love this guy to death. He doesn't get what I do for a living. He's a police officer, loves his job and his career. He's like, I don't know how you go into a world where you don't know what you're going to make every single month, like, you know, like the clockwork and do whatever. I'm like, well, first off, I, I, I make a good deal, but I don't make it like clockwork like you do. But at the same time, I'm very fulfilled. Um, I don't have to ask for two weeks off from somebody. I can literally just, I'm going to take a vacation and go tomorrow if I wanted to. And there's, there's a notoriety like that I have in the world I live in. So I have some, like, I, I feel good about myself, but he doesn't get it. Now, if I desire to live my life to his outcome, I would not be doing this. I would be in a different world. I'd probably be very unhappy. So I get it. Some people aren't cut out or supposed to be doing the thing that they're doing. And so whenever you have people say negative things, I find it's tied to one, their internal lack of, of desire to be doing what they're doing first. And secondly, I mean, it would suck if you could do it. Then I have to be met with the fact of one of two things. It's typically one is uh, that you are doing it right and I'm doing it wrong and that hurts. No one likes to feel that way. Or the other part of it is, uh, which they'd have to accept and very few people do is you're doing it right. I'm doing it wrong. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's, that's bad. So what I do is I demonize you. So I don't have to feel so bad. Yeah. It's the other side of the coin. So either I'm going to admit that you're right and I'm doing things funky. And like, I got to admit like, oh man, you're right. Or what most people do is say, how do I not feel so bad with you doing that? Oh, I just tell, I tell everybody you're suck and you're an idiot and let's go squish you down so I can stay on top of you. Like, on top of you. So most people do that. So when they date, say the things they're saying, I'm like, you know what? That's cool. Do your thing. Whatever you feel you got to do to make yourself feel good because I feel good. And if you feel like you have to press me down to be a giant standing on top of me, it says a lot about you and how you live your life. So you get to stay small while I keep growing. And, you know, you'd think that they'd be inspired by it. But I think based on the number of actions you've taken, they probably have fallen along the way saying, yeah, he committed to it. Just watch. It's going to happen. <laughs> That's how it works. You know, the funny thing is people are worried about change and doing things different because people are going to in the beginning of it, like, oh, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. How do you turn the tide on any of those? Well, you just stay consistent because stage one is what an idiot. Stage two is, are they still doing that? How dumb? Stage three is like, wow, they're really still doing that thing. Stage four is like, Dude, they're killing it. How'd that go? Stage five is like, hey, can you show me how? That's the stages. Yeah. But you don't get Stage to the back end. Without going, I know them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Six is I know them. <laughs> so that's how you have to go through the stage and realize if you don't get through stage one and two, you don't get to stage three, four, five, six. And, and you actually have to understand that's part of the journey is people not making sense of it. And, and they're not making sense of it. They make sense of it by demonizing you, diminishing you, saying you're crazy. And that's just the natural order of the flow. So I know I didn't ask you this earlier, but some people will say that that's a projection. They're projecting back to you some of your subconscious yeah. thoughts. Yeah. That you have doubts in yourself. How, how mm -hmm. would you address that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a part of it for sure. And I don't even, it, it may not be a doubt because it's sometimes there's a doubt, like I can't do it. And I don't assume you're better than me because no one does. So they, they demonize it and make it. But I think sometimes they probably know they can, but they don't have the confidence in themselves to do it, to do it so they get pissed. And my anger, when I have it inside, it will come out in energy in different ways. It can come out in me, you know, running people off the road, having road rage. Think about it. Some people who are doing evil things, they're pissed about something completely different from what's going on right now. And in those situations, sometimes people are met with a mirror. It's not even, I don't know if a projection, but it's a reflection sometimes. It's a reflection back to them of what they're not doing, what they could be doing. And it sucks because I know that I could be, but it's on me and I'm not doing it. And how do I give that back out? Well, I give it out and making you feel bad or doing different things. It's, it's, it's my reflection back to the world of how I feel inside because of what I'm being shown. And the reflection for yourself is that you're not triggered by their behavior, right? Yeah. I mean, you said the reflection for yourself because of not triggered what? So, you know, we talked about for those individuals who are the naysayers, there's the yeah. reflection and possibility for themselves that they're not willing to look at. But yeah. for you, Anthony, when yeah. they speak to you, how are they also mirroring for you? That is it that you're not triggered by them, knowing that that's their stuff, not mine? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people try to fire you up. I mean, essentially, people will try to poke to get you to, to you know, here's a, there's a great story I, I talk about and I heard years ago. It talks about Gandhi and somebody walks up to him and his, his, you know, his followers are watching and they start berating him. You horrible human. You should die. He goes, thank you. No, I don't think you get it. You're horrible. I don't... Thank you. No, you should die. Thank you. And they get frustrated and they walk away. And this guy goes up, how can you let him talk to you like that? How could you? And he goes, hey, when somebody tries to give you a gift and you don't accept it, they then have to walk off with it. And so when people do these things to me and they get all fired up, I go, okay, cool. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Like you got a horrible FM radio voice. Hey, cool. Appreciate it, man. Your video sucks. Hey, cool. Thanks. And they don't have to do with it. Say, oh, I got to storm off and I don't have to adopt that. I don't have to accept the gift. So yes, sometimes my reflection reflect back to them. They'll get pissed. They'll fire back at me. And I just, I just hang out. I don't, I don't have to adopt that energy. And then they got to deal with it. They got to walk off with that into their life. That's it. I've never heard anyone put it that way. So thank you so much for sharing that with my audience here and with myself yeah. to know that, you know, I know one thing is that we don't have to be triggered by other people. We don't need to accept the mm -hmm. gift. However, it was used by that person where, and we're wanting yeah. to say that they're not wanting to be malicious, right? We go back to that beginning yeah. talk about not wanting to be malicious. And sometimes they don't know what they're doing. They're dealing with some other, um, crap in their head or whatever is going on for themselves. And until they yeah. are caught with, you know, I've, I've had individuals that they will just go off and you'll be, you'll sit down with them and say, Hey, I know what you're doing right now has nothing to do mm -hmm. with what you're talking about. So what's really going on? Yeah. Right. And then yeah, you hear this completely mm -hmm. different story. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta give them some love. Some guy just a couple days ago, I put a thing of like, it was like a story of like, who, you know, what do you, what do you think I do? And he's like, you're lying. Uh, it was said, you're a liar and you eat butt, butt or something weird. I was like, what? So I posted it with like a laugh. Like I love the trolls. The guy messaged me back a couple hours later and he goes, Hey, I'm sorry. I just gotta let you know that, um, you know, I, I was in a bad place. Something happened whatever it was. And I was like, Hey man, no big deal. I appreciate you. Still got love for you, bro. It's just, I get it. I've been there. And then like, it was a weird, like positive end result to that. Yeah. Where I could have easily fired back, you know, but what's the point of taking the gift, man? What's the point of like, they're in funky places. And if you give them a hug, sometimes you create a positive space 
for them and for you. Like you get to feel like I did something for this person. At the same time, they feel better. It's a win-win all because I didn't take the gift. And he probably didn't think that you were going to post it. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, he probably didn't at all. Yeah, no, he probably didn't. But it's cool. I do that kind of stuff. I, then nobody knew who he was. I scratched it all out. Yeah. I know we have to wrap things up because I do need to give you back to your family. And I really appreciate your yeah, time. Yeah. Um, no worries. What is one book that has been a game changer for you? Yes. I mean, simple one. It's very simple. And I, I almost feel bad saying it, but it's Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's, I don't, I don't know if I say bad. It's almost like it's simplistic and people are like, I wanted some game changing world shattering book. And to be honest, the ones that'll change your world aren't the ones that are some quippy new thing. It's, it's how to live your life consistently. And it's a really good book that has great, simple um, lessons, you know, it's seven habits. And if you can put those into your world, I promise, man, it's a game. If it was the first book I read when I entered this personal development space, it gave me like a decoder ring to read the world a little bit differently. And so when I read things and see things and see people, it was one of the precursors that allowed me to kind of grasp how to filter that knowledge and do something better with it. Yeah, it is a great book. And it's one of my go-tos on the shelf as well. My yeah. final question is, what does it mean for you to live rich from the inside out? Uh, that's great for me. I'm, I'm literally the identity guy. That's my world. It means everything. It's, I think the only way you live rich outside is by first being rich inside. And it's kind of a duality I create that allows me to create inside. There's a process of creation throughout all of us that's difficult. It's arduous to create something special. And I think what you create creates you. The process of creation creates this internal person. So if you create something the right way uh, and you, you know, and love the process and you enjoy doing it, you're going to create something that, that could be rich outside. But if you do it right, you get to be rich inside at the exact same time. And then you start to find that the richness inside has nothing to do with outside. It, it's all the outside stuff is cool, but even without it, I still feel great. Even without the money and the time and the whatever I have, I still am very happy with Anthony. I like being with this guy. So I think part of being rich is just being able to be alone with you and loving that human being. Well said. Thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom, identity. I know we've touched on a variety of subjects. And you know, everyone, please go follow Anthony on the social media channels. I've followed his stories. It's great to see whether he's on a trip or he's been putting out questions for people to ask. He's sharing his story in so many different ways. And I just feel blessed to be able to be connected to you now and uh, being able to share you with everyone and sharing gifts that people can hang on to. Mm -hmm. So how can people stay in touch with you, Anthony, and know more about your work? Yeah, just go to Instagram is probably the fastest place. Just go to at uh, Anthony Trucks on Instagram. It's fairly simple. Uh, if you want to take that quiz, you do www.slowergo.co and you can go take that as well. Oh, and don't forget the quiz. Yeah, I'm the doer. We'll have to have a second segment. Figure out what that. it is. Yeah. After I read the report. There you go. <laughs> Thank you again, Anthony. Thank you to everyone listening. Um, it is, has been a pleasure and I would love for you to also go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you can get your free video course on making habits stick, building some focus and consistency into those goals. So you can knock them out of the park and make them a reality. I have in the show notes, there will be all the links to hook up with Anthony to really learn the shift method following him on his social media channels because he gives fabulous wisdom that you do need to know to own it and own your shift. As Mahama Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Anthony and myself, 
go out and make today great. 